Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the David Watson podcast. Thank you again for tuning in. Today, I spoke with a guy who's affectionately known as Farmer Pete. And when I spoke to him, it was the day before his 67th birthday. And we were discussing his love and passion for jujitsu. You're going to love this. The guy is amazing. Thank you very much. Good morning. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. Thank you again for coming on. I appreciate it. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning, David. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a it's a great honour. So just just to give people some sort of background, I um have was introduced to you by Kevin and John. Was it John? The Yes, that's correct. Yeah, yes. so I don't know why his name suddenly as I had him on the podcast, I, I my name slipped his name, sorry, slipped through my head. And they very affectionately refer to you as Farmer Pete. Yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, the, the main reason for that is because um, I am a farmer. Um, that's my main business. And at our club, our jiu-jitsu club, everybody who's um, of some interest is referred to by a nickname. So um, it's, it's actually a badge of honour. From, from the way that they were talking, it would have either been Farmer Pete or Vice-like Grip. Well, yes. I, I think I've actually probably... My main interest is um, is grappling Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and I think it's quite rare for somebody of my age to be of, you know, to be as interested as I am. You know, I'm still, um, <clears throat> still really enjoying it, still... Still learning. I got I got awarded my brown belt the other week, which is a great great honour. Yeah, congratulations! Um, um, I'm actually 67 tomorrow, so oh, um, yeah. So m m most guys are, are playing dominoes when they get to my age, um, not not rolling around the mat with 25 year olds. I mean, I, I genuinely I say this respectfully. I didn't. I realised I knew from um, Kevin and John you were in your 60s. I didn't realise you were 67. Yes, well, you well, looking. I'm you only, really are looking well. Thank you. I'm only 66 today. I'm 67 tomorrow. Bloody <laughs> hell! So, how how long have you been doing jujitsu? Well, ten years ago, um, and it started by my son who did um, Thai boxing and MMA, um, and we used to mess around as lads and dads do, you know, wrestling, and then he'd get me in, in an arm lock or a, or, a, or a triangle, and I said. How, how on earth do you do that? Just show me again. So anyway, he got sick of showing me. And he said, look, I'll take you to the place where I learned. So she's quite funny, really, because normally the, the father takes the son to a place, yeah. whereas the son was taking his father to a place to learn. So um, anyway, I thought, well, yeah, let's give it a go. So I arrived one morning and uh, we started off by doing somersaults down the mat which I hadn't done since my school days. So I thought, well, is this really for me? But anyway, I um, I stuck with it and I thought, well, yeah, yeah I think I can do this. And um, and yeah, and, and it's a great, um, it's a great diversion from work and from life because um, when you're actually rolling with somebody on the mat, it's a very technical game. Um, so you've got to, you've got to think very deeply um and it just sort of clears your mind of any sort of outside problems um and i know that was 10 years ago and soon after i um 
I started, I got I got diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, and it was a great comfort to me, my jiu-jitsu, because I know when I was lying in the pre-med room, I was thinking about jiu-jitsu moves, which, um, which actually took my mind off the operation. That's cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it, it, it's been it's been fantastic for me. There's there's quite a few interesting uh, concepts there because like like the first one is the father and son, and like you said, there's that dynamic where normally the father is, is teaching the son or dragging the son, saying, "Come on, I want you to sort of start this, to start this." How? Because that's a wonderful relationship that you have with your son. If if you're able to be the one, son, can you show me? Well, yes, we we, we, we I've got two boys, and I get on with them both equally well. Um, and there's always a bit of lad, lad and dad sort of competition. Um, and you know, Richard, my eldest son, who, who sort of introduced me, I just think he wanted me to sort of. Um, to have a hobby and a diversion away from a work. Um, so, um, so, and yes. going, sorry, going back, um, when, when you were talking about the somersaults and sort of doing the roly polies across the mats sort of thing, yeah. do you, do you remember how well your body adapted to that, that sort of transition? Uh, well, yes. I mean, I think, because I've always had a, a physical job, um, my body was sort of—I was reasonably fit for my, for, you know, for my age. Um, had quite a quite a good deal of natural strength um, just through through lifting things. Um, so my body was conditioned to it. My biggest problem was actually flexibility. Um, yeah. So I found that quite difficult, and I'm still not very flexible um so it it is something that's quite important to work on really do you have any sort of uh mobility drills or flexibility drills or anything yeah i do try and stretch you know i'm just sat watching tv uh, trying to stretch my um the main thing is to try and stretch your hamstrings because if your hamstrings are tight it it gives you all sorts of back problems and yeah. it gives you knee problems as well um Oh, and the other thing is, I was actually suffering from an arthritic hip as well, which didn't help me. <laughs> has that has that eased up? Because I I I always wonder how much there is an element of movement helps movement, and if you sort of stiffen up too much, you, your body kind of goes, "All oh, right, okay, we're going to become sort of stationary." Oh yeah, definitely, and, and especially the older you get, the more you have to you have to work on things. Um, I think. When you're in your twenties, you can take time off and you can get back to your sport relatively easily. But when you get sort of forties, fifties, and sixties, um, you really do have to concentrate on keeping your mobility. I could say for anyone in their twenties who's listening, you have no idea how great your body feels. You just cannot <laughs> anticipate understand for a second how great that body feels at twenty. Yes. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's um, no substitute for youth, is there? No, no, and and sadly we don't learn that until it's gone. So going because obviously I, I didn't realise you'd had the, the the prostate cancer, um, and I'm assuming that that's all good and all clear. Yes. Yeah. So you you mentioned that when when you were there pre 
pre pre op waiting to go in, you're going through yeah. sort of jujitsu drills and thinking about that. Was, was there no sort of um, fear or anticipation then? Well, yes, there th- th- was. I mean, I, I'll just give you a bit of history. Um, I went for sort of a, just a normal GP checkup, and he said, look, we'll do a PSA test, um, which measures a protein in your blood that's it's a marker for prostate cancer. And it was only slightly high. So being a very diligent doctor, he said, look, we need to keep an eye on this. So we we, we monitored it, and then eventually – he sort of drew a graph and it was actually raising slightly. So um, we arranged for me to go for a more invasive test and it it proved that I'd actually got a a very aggressive prostate cancer. Um, And I was just devastated um, because I'd never been ill in my life. And my consultant was really, um, was really shocked um, because I had no symptoms. Um, And it was, you know, it was a really quite, it was a very emotional time for me. And the thing that that I really thought about was, I'm not going to see my children grow up, um, you know, and it really affected me badly. But anyway, we arranged for the operation. And when I looked into it more, I thought, well, yes, there is life beyond prostate cancer. Um, so, you know, I've had the operation and it's, I've been clear ever since. I've been tested once a year um, and it's been very successful. So. Was it um, sort of the research and stuff like, oh, actually, th- there, there's a very good opportunity that I'm going to be okay after this? Did that kind of then ch- change the mindset to actually let's focus on things will be all right? Well, basically, I, I, I stopped because obviously when you get diagnosed with something, you want to research it and get as much information as possible. Well, I, I stopped researching it because um, if you were to read the information on aggressive prostate cancer your chances of survival were very small um so i thought well there's actually no benefit from from me researching this so i actually stopped off all, all forms of research and i just had faith in my in my surgeon yeah. um do you think that may have also come from and i could be completely off the track here that kind of well i've never been ill before so this just isn't who I am. Um, well, yeah, it, it's a shock because it, you know, it always happens to somebody else, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, you, you hear about some so and so getting this, but, you know, um, and also I think, you know, when you're a bit younger, you tend to think you're a bit immortal um, because you've had good health. Um, and I think also with, with me having no... Um, no outward symptoms for prostate cancer. Um, that was that was a great shock. And and so, what, where were you in your sort of jujitsu phase when this happened? Uh, well, I, I just I'd, I'd actually just started, so I was, I was one year in. So um, you know, I was very keen to um, I was very keen to sort of progress my game. Um, so. There's a lot of mental thought about sort of about your moves and um, you know if somebody does this should I do this or um, so yeah it did really help me with the with the actual mental process because it just it took my mind off the off the matter in hand um, which was quite important yeah oh yeah I'd, I'd imagine that was probably um, 
a game changer. You know, just just having something that meant you weren't focused and worried on this. It was just like probably did make a huge difference in itself. Oh, it did. Yes. Yeah. So, I what? So you had this curiosity because of your son about going to jujitsu and and starting it. Did, was there any kind of like, um, <clears throat> kind of like, and anticipation of this is you know what the hell am I doing? Um, <clears throat> well, yeah. At, at first, you, you think, well, what have I got myself into? Um, but then you can see um, it, it's it's a little bit of a marmite thing, you know. And I think um, it either appeals to you or it doesn't. And I think. If it doesn't appeal to you, you, you you very quickly know within a few few sessions whether it's for you. Um, and I thought, well, yeah, I, th- I think I can do this. Um, you know, it, it's hard, but then my actual my job is is physically hard. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of used to adversity, and I've always said that jujitsu it's a bit like life because sometimes it's really hard. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, and a good expression is sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes you're the nail, you know. Um, <laughs> I've not heard that one, but that is a good one. <laughs> and also you've got to learn to, um, very much a male thing, you've got to learn to swallow your ego um, because if you've got an ego, you will not survive in jiu-jitsu because um, there are people that, that submit you that um, – you think, God, you know, they shouldn't be able to submit me, but they're technically better or they're fitter or they're stronger. So you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to take that. Yeah. I think there's something very um, humbling. I, I mean, I don't do jujitsu. I did, I did judo as a kid. And um, over the years, I've, I've done a, a sort of a, a lot of exercise training in boxing gyms and sparred a lot. And there, there is something... I think, like you say, that that's useful for the ego to get punched in the face, and but in a controlled circumstance. Or like when I did judo, there was something very useful about you think you're in control, and somebody suddenly throws you or trips you, and you're like, "Oh, hang on a second, I'm I'm not where I thought I should be." Well, yeah, you also learn to be a great um, a great respecter of people, you know, and. Um you learn not to judge people by the cover because people are so different underneath and there's many layers. Yeah. Um, and it's been my experience that the, that the toughest guys are already the nicest guys. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there's some guys, well, actually Kevin and John are probably good examples. Kev, you know, I've, I've never met John in person, but I've actually met Kevin. We did a weekend course together, which is how I met him. The nicest guy you could ever wish to meet. Well, yeah, Kev, I mean, I call him the smiling assassin. Um, he's actually smiling at you. He's choking you. Um, so. <laughs> but if you were stood next to Kevin in, in the in Tesco's, you would have no idea. No, no, no. But also uh, an interesting fact um, that I used to go to school with Kevin. I used to be friendly with Kevin's father. Oh, crikey. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, so there's a massive history. Oh, yeah. Well, it was quite funny, really, because Kevin's a very, um, very sort of happy, outgoing nature. Um, 
And the, the name McAllister, it's sort of, it's not that common. And I thought, well, when I was at school, I used to go to um, school with a guy called Mike McAllister, who I was quite friendly with, and he was always like quite outgoing and chatty. Um, and I said to Kev, is your, <laughs> is your dad called Mike? And he said, yeah, how do you know? And it was just incredible that, you know, I'm grappling with, with his son, you know, sort of yeah. like 50 years later. It's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> So. Because obviously you're you're a farmer. What what um what do you do on your farm at the moment? Uh, well, it's all it's all arable. We've got um, we farm like four hundred and fifty acres. Uh, we grow wheat, uh, barley, oilseed, rape, and, and beans. Um, so I don't employ any any regular staff. I use contractors at busy times of the year. At the moment, we've got the crops that that are growing. So we're we're actually applying fertilizer to the crops and spraying them, keeping them clean from disease. Um, so it's always a challenge trying to fit my jujitsu in uh, because because sometimes you know you've got to you've got to spray and fertilize according to the weather. Um, so sometimes there's a bit of a clash between work and jujitsu. Um, so work, you know work has to come first, but. I always try and sort of fit it in. Well, that probably is um, a, a, a sort of a general philosophy for life, isn't it? Is that it, it's too easy to put things off because something else might be happening instead of, well, how, how do I make the time to make this happen? Well, yeah. Also, I think um, I think in the morning you've got to make your mind up that you're going to go to jiu-jitsu that night um, and kind, kind of work around it because if, if you if you sort of if you just go through your normal day and think well oh hopefully I'll have time well if if things get delayed a little bit um, you can talk yourself out of it um, because I've got I've got a half an hour drive each way you see so um, it's not like it's just around the corner um, so I try and I try and plan my day around around the jujitsu um, I try and get two jujitsu sessions a week in if I can. You. Um, I find that that's that's probably the minimum um, to remain sort of reasonably current. Um, but I find that it's it's the amount that that suits my body because my body's recovered by the time I go to my second <laughs> class. <laughs> so, but I mean, because that that's probably um, part of the learning curve, isn't it? Is is how much jujitsu can you do to maintain it without? putting yourself under too much strain that it becomes problematic yeah well you see as you get older you've got to you've got to train smart um because to me it's all about uh, being able to sort of keep doing jiu-jitsu for for years and years um but i, I know that if, if, I, if i'm if i'm reckless um and i get a serious injury it could put me out for, for good so um, I try not to overstress my body. Um, I, I will actually roll with with, with anyone, um, yeah. but um, some younger guys that have just started that tend to be a little bit um, uncontrolled, I, I, I will avoid. Um, but it's, you know, my prerogative to, to refuse to roll with anyone. I don't want to. Um, I do actually prefer... I really like rolling with Kev and I like rolling with the instructors because 
it's a hard technical role, um, but it's safe. Um, at the end of the day, we all we do it as a sport, and we all want to go home and go to work the next day. You know. Do you think, like I think for for people listening, what what they probably they don't understand is that the more because jujitsu jujitsu can be is so technical as you go up the levels there's less brute force and ignorance applied if that makes sense whereas when you kind of go in with somebody that is quite inexperienced especially if they're young as well and they're very experienced and they don't have the same techniques that they're trying to use too much strength or they're just trying to physically bully you oh yeah 100 percent um, and also, you know, the, the the young guy who's full of testosterone and just started, I, I'll show this old guy, you know. So, um, you know, you've got a bit of a mark on your back. Yeah. Um, so sometimes, you know, with the young guys, um, I've got to really put it on them uh, because sometimes I don't want to roll um, intensively all the time, but sometimes I've got to really put it on them to control them um, because – if I didn't, and I gave them an inch, that they, they could end up hurting me. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's um, as I say, it's about training smart. Um, you, and, and you said something there that I never thought about that that it just didn't occur to me actually is that you said yes, you don't actually always want to train intensely where you have to put it on them to sort of keep them in their place. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, the thing is, I like to. I like a technical role where you're using your brain. Um, so you are using strength, but it's not. It's not absolute raw brute strength. Um, you're using technique. Um, so I, I find that I find that more satisfying. I mean, you've got to use strength sometimes to put a move on, but it's not constant strength. You've got to know when to apply it. Yeah, and kind of went, and went to relax. Um, well, because it is, isn't it? Because sort of young, young guys, like you say, full of testosterone, they can be a bit sort of like charging bulls or charging gorillas, and it's just like you know, I'm just going to come in and smash this like a lump hammer, as opposed to like you know, just just the subtle art of I wonder if I can trick this guy or faint this guy or, or just turn turn this guy and lever him. You know, they're they're just like. Hmm, I think I can hit this like it's a breeze block. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's the problem that, that that you're up against, you know. But, I mean, most of the guys, you find that um, there's quite a lot of um, guys that are really high standard. You know, there are some blue and purple belts that, like, young, fit, um, you know, 15-stone guys that are, that are really, really good. You know, they, they are a handful to manage, you know. But, um you know, sometimes I get tapped by them, but sometimes I'll tap them. But I don't have any issue with that. You know, yeah. um, I'll, I'll always, I'll always do my best. You know. So, where where do you see the future with this? Uh, well, jujitsu wise, I just for me, it's it's continual improvement um, because you never really just reach the the ultimate. Um, it's always work in progress because there's always so much to learn, and, and that's what's so interesting about it. Um, and now I've got now I've got um, my uh, bionic hip, as they say. Um, 
I've got a lot more. I've got a lot more mobility, and they, they say I'm a lot more dangerous now. So, um, <laughs> so what was the recovery get... like from that then? So, lead, leading up to, I, I mean, also, I must say that I, um, I was out of jiu-jitsu for a couple of years with with COVID. Okay. Um, and then leading up to. Um, my operation, which was last last December, um, my, my hip got got really quite bad and quite stiff. So my jujitsu suffered. Um, so I had a situation whereby I was having my hip checked every year, um, and even sort of five years ago, the um, the surgeon said, "Well, we've actually replaced hips that weren't as bad as yours. So just just tell us when." you know, you think you need it doing. So I had an x-ray each year and they said, oh, well, it really has deteriorated. We, we think you should have it done. So I said, well, I'll take a, um, I'll take a cancellation. So I had a phone call and they said, come for a COVID test on the Friday. And if you pass the COVID test, you're in on Monday. Um, so had the operation on Monday. Um, I was in, I think I was probably in for two nights. Um, it was quite funny coming out of the operation. I was on the tri- I was on the trolley, and because I was full of morphine and, and drugs, I felt uh, re- like really chilled and relaxed, and I felt like I was just on holiday, you know. Uh, <laughs> but then, then, then the reality set in, you know. So um, they said. The first question is, when can I go home? So they said, oh, well, you've got to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And, uh, but they tell you off if you try to do too much. So I was I was actually forcing myself to try and walk, you know. So yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I, I was out in a couple of days. Um, the actual recovery at first, it was a bit, a bit traumatic because my leg was, my leg was quite swollen and I was, I was worried about complications and um, you couldn't really speak to anybody about it, but um, I kind of, kind of progressed quite well. And then so probably by May or June, I was, I was on the mats again, just rolling sort of quite steadily. And, and now I'm, I'm okay. I don't, I don't allow myself to get thrown. I, I wouldn't allow a sort of a, a judo throw to get slammed on the mat. And yeah. I'm also very careful about about my space because I don't want anyone actually falling on me. Um, so, yeah, but my mobility is good, and um, you know it's been very successful. Do you have any like? Because um, explain the belt structure for me. Well, you, you start off with a with a white belt, um, and then. Some schools um, they give you sort of a like a stripe as you as you progress, um, and then you go on to a you go on to a blue belt. That's quite a significant belt because it shows you've got sort of a you know a good base understanding, um, and then you go on to a purple belt, um, then brown and then black. Um, but the belts are quite difficult to achieve in jiu-jitsu. So a black belt would be very often 10 or 12 years of yeah. of continuous um, study. 
you know, which probably represents ten or twelve thousand hours. Yeah, um, probably would. Yeah. Um. So that's that's why it's such a great honour to receive a belt because it's also um it's also a recognition of of your sort of of your attitude towards the sport. It's it's how you treat your training partners because um, without your partners, you, you don't have a game. Um, so it's very important that you actually look after your partners and that you go hard, but you, but you don't injure them. Um, and it's how your sort of attitude is with others, you know, help, helping sort of other people progress. Um, so sometimes with, with guys that I know I can eat, beat easily, I'll, I'll just put myself in a bad position and, and, and let them sort of attack me and me work out of it. And that way we, we both get something out of it. It's, you know, it's not all just about submissions. So it's, it's kind of approaching sessions as a learning curve. Sorry, what was that? Sorry. It, it's kind of taking the approach that lessons are a learning curve. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it is like a big learning curve. So just what are your standout moments since you started doing it, the, the ones that sort of jump out to you? Jiu-Jitsu. Um, well, I think really the um, – when I've achieved each belt, um, it's been a significant time because you never think that you're quite you're quite ready for it and – I think my main concern was um, with this last belt is because the brown belt, it is quite a senior belt. Um, yeah. And in our club, the brown belts that are existing are very, very good. And you think, well, will people think that I'm up to that standard? Or will they think, oh, he got it because of his age? And um, John and uh, Kev assured me, no, it's because of your ability. So, you know, you kind of feel better for that. So you're always... You always kind of doubt yourself a little bit, yeah. You know, and I think you. But maybe that's not a bad thing, you know. Um, no, I, I think I think there's an element of if you can turn with with any discipline for anything in life. If you can turn up, always be willing to learn, always be willing to put in the effort, and then have an ego check where you think I'm maybe not good enough for that. I think that's probably a really good place to be. Because you're 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 never then overconfident. You're you're there. You're never then imposing yourself on something. You're always like, actually, do I know enough? And at that point, you're probably always like, if you if you have that mentality of do I know enough, you're probably always actually going to continue trying to learn. Yes, I also do some one to one um, sessions with Ben, who's um, he's a good friend of mine. He's an instructor as well. Um, so sometimes we'll meet on a Sunday and um, we'll, we'll go through some moves just to try and refine things. Um, so I find that really useful as well. And do you do you find it's actually keeping you going in a physical sense? Because it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you have a as, as a farmer, like I mean for people that aren't aware of what farming can be like you can wake up feeling like shit the weather can be terrible outside and no one cares because you've got to go and sort out stuff it's not yeah, like phoning yeah. it sick at the office <clears throat> well yeah, yeah because I, I also regard jiu-jitsu as um it's like i call it a pathway um so I, I try and go to the gym as well so i, I try and sort of 
But my aim is to try and do two jujitsus a week and the gym twice, but it doesn't always end up that way. So it very often ends up like go to the gym once and jujitsu twice. And I call this, this a pathway because basically if, if you're training um, and you enjoy your sport, um, be, well, because of the physical activity, you, you tend to lose weight. I mean, I've lost um I've lost probably nearly getting towards a stone uh, recently. And I feel a lot fitter for it. So, so while I'm training, my, my drinking and my eating is all in line. Whereas I think if, if you if you stray off the pathway, you know, you can start eating a bit more. You can have a few extra drinks um, and you get a bit out of shape. So um, I find that my, my training is, is really important for my sort of, for my health in, in all sorts of ways. Where do you think this outlook came from? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think it's survival. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to do, isn't it? Um, survival, self-sufficiency, because um, I was always brought up um, that you've got to be self-sufficient and, and kind of look after yourself because nobody else is going to. Um, so, And it just seems like common sense, really, you know? There's a lot of that. It's a short. We're in shortage of that, though, aren't we? <laughs> we, we are. We are really. Yeah. Yeah. So you you say that that was kind of possibly an outlook that you you were raised with. What, what was um? What is the 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 family background? Uh, well, my father was a farmer, and his farm his father before that was a farmer. So I come from from sort of like a farming history, and um, obviously. By the very nature of the job, you've got to be sort of practical and 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 sort of you've got to just you, you've got to be able to get on with the job, you know, not not look at it and talk about it, do it. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, I was always brought up to work. Um, I just had a went to the normal secondary school. I started off doing did my O levels. I started off doing A levels. Um, I was doing maths, physics, and another subject, but it didn't really inspire me. So, so I left um, and I started working on the farm. Then I went to ag- agricultural college, um, and my father was probably not in the best of health. So I took over the farm when I was probably in, in my twenties. Oh wow! So you took it over young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I've been sort of. Been a farmer for you know quite a bit of my life, really. Because that, that's one of the interesting things about um, farmers in general is um, probably especially your father's generation and the generation before him, but it would still apply to yours. Um, is what, what once you kind of start farming, you kind of don't stop farming until you physically can't do it. Which is well, yeah, it's quite funny, really, because um, quite a few of my friends. My wife's friends, they've been retired for quite a few years, and they all say, when, when's Peter going to retire? Um, and I tell my wife, you must tell him he's not going to retire. And they, they, they give you a sideways look. Um, what do you mean he's not going to retire? And she says, well, you know, he's doing a job that he loves and, and <laughs> looks forward to each day. Why would he pack it in? Yeah. Um, you know, and I've, there's people we know that um, – they go on back-to-back cruises, you know, and they take 
two sets of clothes because they put on so much weight, you know, and I, I just, I can't get my head around that. I can't, I just can't understand. I, I don't imagine you could, no. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it is so, isn't it? It's just like your, your grandfather probably would have, I mean, started working at God knows how old he was when he started working on the farm and probably carried on until he literally couldn't carry on. Well, yeah, most in years gone by, I mean, I started working on the farm when I was 12 or 13, driving tractors. Um, and it's just something that you grow up with. Um, How's it changed? Of course. Pardon? How's farming changed since you were 12? Well, very much so. I mean, now the... <clears throat> well, my father only had quite a small farm. It was only about 100 acres, and he had he had five men. Um now we sort of we found 450 acres with no men um so the tractors have got uh, they've got far more um advanced we we have gps on both tractors um so we've got parallel tracking um the the sprayers switch on and off automatically by gps so it, everything's a lot more accurate um what do you, what so do you think your dad would make of that I think he'd probably be quite shocked, um, but you know, you think, oh well, it's a it's a good idea because um, it's just making us more efficient. Yeah, because I th I think people sometimes we lament how things have advanced and sort of oh the good old days, the good old days, but then farming was always about what's the most efficient way to do something. Well, yeah, my father used to call them the bad old days because because, because he used to have to um, he used to have to get up to feed the horses um, before he started work because the horses pulled the plough and then there was one horse turned around, kicked him and broke his ribs. So he said, well, that, that's not the good old days, you know, and then he'd have to work, um, he'd have to walk for miles behind the horse. And then if he wanted to go for some shopping, he used to have to go to three miles up the road on his push bike. So, um, you know, um, and, and he used to yeah, and he used to say, um, he used to say, well, um, boredom never killed a man, but but hard work does, you know. So, um, yeah, I think you know people can look back and sort of wax lyrical about the good old days, but some of the days weren't so good. Yeah, because that's the, I mean, we can be blinded by nostalgia. You know, we sort of confuse the. Um, I'm, you know, those days were simpler, but they weren't easier. And I think people... No, they were, they were, no they, they were more difficult. And I think, I just think it's human nature to sort of, to reflect back with, with, with rose-tinted spectacles, you know. Is, is there anything you do miss about that, about those days? Um, there are some aspects of, of modern life which... I think are sort of counterproductive. I think um, I think social media it's been a great asset, but I think it's got a lot to answer for. Um, I think social me media has, has caused as many problems as, as it's as it's helped. Um, I think the thing that I can never get my head around is you know I'm on Facebook and I follow people on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, but, you know, you get friend requests from people that you don't know and you think, well, 
you, you won't walk into the street and someone come up to you and say, hey, can I be your friend? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're in this, this age of connectivity, but <laughs> nobody will answer the phone to you. So... <laughs> so I, I think it's a little bit bizarre and I think um, I don't know I think things have gone a bit topsy-turvy really I find yeah because I find that a, a double-edged sword because on one hand I'm grateful because modern technology and social media means I can actually reach out to people like you talk to you face to face like we're in a room and I'd never have been able to have this conversation and, and enjoyed the conversation without the benefit and power of social media but the flip side to that is i will have people on social media that will follow me but have never actually said hi have never commented on a post have never said hi and if i bumped into them in the street wouldn't speak to me anyway i know i know which is rather bizarre isn't it you know because um, we've got more connect connectivity but it's it, it's more impersonal in some ways you know whereas like years ago, we used to have to um, pick up the phone and, and ring a friend and, hi, how are you doing, you know? Um, whereas we don't actually need to speak to people now, you know? Because yeah, I find that quite bizarre, that once upon a time, if I was wondering how you were and you was a friend of mine, I would I would just go around and knock on, knock on your door. You know, I might drive half an hour just to pop in and see if you were in. And when you say, oh, look, I was just passing by, I hadn't heard from you a while, and you'd invite me in for a cup of tea, and, and then I'd bugger off. Whereas now, if I did that, somebody would say, well, why didn't you message me? What are you doing on the yeah. step? <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas when, you know, when I was growing up and stuff, and it, and it might be because uh, my mum's Irish, so maybe it's just that whole, you just expect random people to just knock on your door and say hello, because they were in the area. And yeah. it'd just be, I was passing. He'd be, all right, you've got time for a cup of tea. Whereas now, if you did that, I, I know people that would be genuinely put out who call me a friend if I just turned up unannounced to see how they were. Yeah, well, they would say, oh, probably politely, oh, next time you come in, just message me, wouldn't they, you know? But I think it could be an Irish thing because the Irish are they're a very friendly, open nation, um, you know, whereas I think us Brits are probably a little bit more conservative in our, in our ways, you know. Yeah, it, it could have just been, you know, the good old Catholic big families that we were yeah. just used to turning up at, you know, someone's house and there'd already be five people there. Um, but it, the, this social media connectivity is, yeah, it, it's a very fascinating, very kind of fascinating, and I doubt either, either one of us will be uh, around long enough to know how it's going to turn out for the, the next generations. Um, and also the the thing that mystifies me is I've always had to have a product product to sell. Um, I can't sell fresh air, whereas um, these influencers on uh, Instagram they're, they're selling fresh air, aren't they? Yes. Um, yeah, no, no, they are. I mean, I I I, and I, I fall into that category. I you know what I, mean? I, I do. P people will. I mean, I, I don't make any money off these guys, uh, off this. You know, I, I don't have anywhere near enough tension to make any money off it. I just literally, for me, it fell into, do you remember This Is Your Life? Where um, where they, they'd literally just talk to people about their life stories. And I, I miss that concept where the you would have a conversation with somebody about the good things in their life. 
instead of always trying to shit on people and put people down and get people to talk about things they you know like we've all made mistakes and you know and you you we kind of have this modern media that if somebody made a mistake 10 years ago they've still got to apologize for it and i just i i flipping hate that kind of thing i i miss the days of this is your life where uh is it max bygraves would um and amen um amen andrews amen andrews yeah. they'd, they'd come out with a big red book and so they'd be talking to some celebrity and there'd be some like maybe they got divorced or maybe they'd been arrested or maybe they'd been made bankrupt and he'd slip that in very discreetly and then carry on as though nothing could happen and then just celebrate yeah. everything and i miss that discretion do you know what i mean it was just like because things do happen to people and people do have to pick themselves up but you don't have to um unless somebody actually wants to but you, you don't have to completely get them to dissect it on, on in public life for then everyone to see whether they approve of that or not and uh, well, it, it, it just, it, it's like sort of um what can we say you, you know if you watch the the apprentice um i mean well i've said i'm not going to watch it anymore because i think it's rubbish it's turned into rubbish you know they you know they have to make the contestants cry you know they've got to they've got to squeeze every every last drop out of it you know and yeah. um I don't know. I just think things have gone the wrong way, really. You know. Yeah, and and that that's kind of where when I started doing the podcast, that's that's where it came from. I just like kind of, mm, I I actually want to make something that I'd watch, and and it just became a, a very good excuse. As like you're saying, go back to like influences. I, I pretty much just sell conversation. Um, yeah, and, it's, and that's actually all I ever wanted was just I missed conversation. Well, yeah, because, you know, people's lives are interesting, you know, um, you know, and everyone's got a story to tell. Um, like you say, concentrate on the positive, you know, not, not, not always be digging dirt, you know? Yeah. And yeah, cause, and that, that's pretty much the, the philosophy of what I tried to, to create with this, but um, just jumping back again. Were, were you interested in like wrestling, martial arts, or anything like that before you'd started sort of like the jujitsu journey? Well, years ago, um, <clears throat> really, when I was in my teens, jujitsu wasn't really it, it was around, but Brazilian jujitsu wasn't wasn't around as we know it. Um, there were the Bruce Lee films, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I went I went to a few karate classes, but it never really. It, Excuse me. Um, so it never really, it never really inspired me. So, um, and also, I was always fairly busy, busy working. So I didn't really have time for it. Um, so, it, as I say, it just didn't really appeal to me at the time. Um, and obviously, you know, the, the time was right for Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You know, yeah. So, so it wasn't sort of like um, you were always like keeping one eye on it, sort of thing. In, in terms uh, of just say martial arts, boxing, fighting, any anything of form of self defense or anything like that. Not, not really. No, no. Um, I, I always thought, well, I. I don't really need that much self-defense because I'm, I'm six foot and 15 stone, so I can look after myself, you know. Uh, so, 
<laughs> That's a deterrent in itself, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and now I've got I've got I've got cauliflower ears, um, so which I got when I first started jiu-jitsu, which is is quite funny because it's amazing the amount of I can see people looking at them, um, and you know what's going through the mind. I wonder how he's got those. Um, <laughs> But there is, a, you know, um, there is a, a kind of good aspect to that because, like you say, if you're six foot fifteen stone with cauliflower ears, that does kind of tell people, like, mm, yeah, m maybe I'll say please and thank you. Well, you've not got cauliflower ears by playing snooker, have you? So <laughs> no, exactly that. No, <laughs> it does kind of send its own message, <laughs> you know. And I'd imagine you've got those big farmer hands as well. Yeah, big big farmer hands. Yeah, yeah. But it was quite funny because a couple of years ago we we went over to um, went over to France uh, to to a wedding, and um, there was quite a lot of the uh, the ex England and and current England rugby team there, and um, a few of the guys that have had a drink. You know, it was it was their off season. They came up and they said to me, "Hey, you you look like trouble." And I said, "You know." I, I'm six foot myself, but these guys are about six foot five. And, and they said to me, you look like trouble, you know, and they were just joking. And they, they were they were quite intrigued as to how I got my cauliflower ears, you know. So, yeah. um, and they were all interested in, in grappling. Um, you know, they'd love to do it, but because of the contracts, they, they, they weren't able to, you know. Um, but, yeah, cauliflower ears, it, 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 it always raises quite a lot of interest. It does, though. It does, doesn't it? But it's actually quite interesting as well that you don't view the the grappling and the jujitsu. You don't uh, view that as self defense. It's that, that's not your kind of your the reason you walk through the door. Well, no, it, it, it actually is self defense, um, and you know what what you what you learn there, and what you do. I mean, every. Every session we we, we 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 warm up by by doing takedowns, um, which after a while it becomes muscle memory. So, you know, if you got in, into a situation, um, you know, you'd be able to you'd be able to handle yourself. You know, and I've had a few situations whereby a few road rage situations. Yeah. Um, there's one guy he, he was swearing at me and approaching me and I, I, I just sat with well I sat with my arms folded on, on my car bonnet you know um, but I had had me had me game ready and I, I knew that he was going to hit the deck as soon as he came towards me with a with a double leg takedown um, but he, he thought better of it and, and went away you know so um, sorry the reason yeah, I'm laughing it, it is there self-defense wise but I don't I don't do it primarily for self-defense no, sorry. The reason I started laughing is because you're sort of like so. There's this guy who's got a bit of road rage, who's who's thinking about what he's going to do, and you've already decided which way he's going down. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just a chess move to you. So it's like, right, yeah, if he yeah. comes this angle, he hits the floor that way. <laughs> if he comes this way, he goes over the bonnet that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's like you're literally waiting to see which which foot goes forward and which arm comes out to decide which way yeah. he this ends. But there's one thing for certain: he was going to come second. 
yeah yeah <laughs> but it's just it, it's that um like, like i said that, that <laughs> i was just getting very amused because it's just like right so he's if he does it okay and it, it is so instinctive because of the amount of times you've done takedowns the amount of times you've grappled that people that don't ever do this um I'm going to segue slightly here. I remember a great lesson I was taught. Um, and I was about 40, and I was still in the, the, the boxing gyms boxing. And and I will be very honest, I boxed at a very low standard, and I was crap at boxing. right? But I was sparring with this kid, and he was about 18, and he boxed at national level. and he was, And it taught me a very valuable lesson, because there was nothing that I could do that could lay a glove on him and he literally decided what he was going to do and he was very gentle very respectful he didn't give me a hiding a kick in or anything like that but the the different levels were it was chalk and cheese just doesn't describe it enough to do what i mean it was just that there was no level i could ever box that was close to what he was doing and as you're saying about this when people come out of their car all road rage no idea about what they're doing and that guy has has gone home probably told everyone exactly what happens and has no idea how close he was to being choked out on the side of the road i know but but also when you think about it the the, the average person um has well the average person they probably got zero sort of zero fitness and zero fighting ability and yet for some reason they think because they're angry that they're going to be like a like a mountain gorilla you know um, like, for example, you wouldn't go out and, and sort of pretend to be a, for example, a, a tattoo artist if you've never done it before, would you? You know, no, no you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You just wouldn't. <laughs> it's just absolutely ridiculous. And I think that's yeah. one of the the things about or any fighting school, anybody that does anything where there's some form of exchange in in terms of of physical abilities, where you, you know you might be grappled, you might get punched or anything like that, you realise very quickly that there is levels to, to doing this and that when you're out in the general public, do not be in a hurry to get into a fight. If you, if you can well, no, de-escalate, that's the, that's the route to go. Well, yeah, also there's, um, there's the fact that, you know, you could, you could hit somebody and they could fall over and, you know, it's the famous sort of one, one punch killer, you know, they could, they could hit the head on the curb and they could die instantly and, and you'd spend the rest of your not your life in jail. Um, they could pull a knife out and stick it in your ribs, and you could die on the spot. Yeah. So, so really, you, you know, you need to be sort of, you need to be quite aware of this. And I think there is, there is like a danger that if people are doing uh, a martial art for pure self defence, they can say, "Well, hmm, I'm going to try this and see if it works." Um, you know, which is which is actually very dangerous because you, you're in like a, an, an uncontrolled situation, and there's nobody going to going to come out from the crowd and hold your your arm up and say, "Oh yeah, you're the winner." Um, it, it, it's just a very very unpredictable scenario, um, and and it's about ego again, isn't it? You know that you've got to <clears throat> you've got to like swallow your ego sometimes and walk away, but it's only when someone approaches your your space is that when you, that's when you actually sort of take the safety catch off so to speak yes. so when you so because when so when you first when started doing jujitsu kind of did that exploration 
of this is is this for me there was no there was no intention of this then being for a, a self defense this was really will i enjoy this does it keep me fit or yeah i mean it, it was it was taken up as a as a sport and the and the way of keeping fit, um, you know, which it has done. And for me, the the self defence is like a byproduct. Yeah. How much of it was a, an intellectual thing, just actually to challenge the way you fought and to just the the, the mind games, that the, like the chess games you play with other people? Yeah. Well, well, yeah, very much still, and it still is, um, because all the time, you know, I can t- well. I pretty well know what people are trying to do. So you, so you, you've got to be trying one step ahead. You've got to, you've got to try and counter it. And a, a famous jujitsu professor once said, "If you think about it, you're actually too late." So um, you, it's actually got to be, and you know yourself from boxing. Um, it's got to be instinctive. So um, you know you can't think, "Oh yeah, there's a, there's a right hook coming here. What should I do?" It's but by the way, he moves his shoulders. You've got to be like getting your gloves up because you know what's so bad at it. It's because yeah, because <laughs> 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 yeah, like you say, as soon as you come across the the instinctive people, you just like okay, the, the, this is this is where we're at. Yeah. yeah. So j- just being conscious of time, I've got a, one last, very much a random question for you and completely unrelated to anything we've discussed. If you could be anywhere, any, any place, anywhere in time, where would you be? When would it be? What would you be driving? And what music would you be listening to? So um, it would be about 10 years ago, because I feel that my life's on fast forward. So I'd like to, I'd like to rewind just a little back, a little way back. Um, I'm quite happy where I am, so I won't, won't be anywhere different. Um, I'll be driving a, um, a Porsche 911 convertible, nice. um, and I'll be blasting soul music out. Nice. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> That's absolutely perfect. Um, what, <laughs> just, just again, random. What, what color would the 911 be? It, red. Red. Red with with, with black interior. What? Which nine eleven? Modern or uh, an older one? Yeah, well, it'd be ten. It'd just be the the, the nine eleven of the era, really. Yeah. Okay. That's nice. I like that. Thank you. Thank you very much. I've really, really enjoyed talking to you. I do appreciate your time. No, it's been great. Um, it's been it's been very entertaining. I hope anyone that listens to it will um, will manage a smile and. And, and happy birthday for tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks very much, David. <laughs> <laughs>